Let's turn to the Gospel of John, and we'll be looking at the woman at the well, kind of the tail end of the part of this story. And I think some just some big thoughts for me, if I were to zoom out, is that here's a woman that's confronted with Jesus, and you know that you know the, the breakdown. She's a Samaritan. They're kind of the, the rejects of the religious culture of the Jews and Israel. Uh, they kind of looked at them as half-breeds. They called them dogs, and they were really kind of disrespected and, and, and kind of racially uh, disregarded. And so, yet they, they looked for a Messiah. They, they believed in God, and they were waiting for a Messiah. And here's this woman, and I think it's interesting that in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, a religious leader, comes to Jesus, and Jesus speaks to him about being born again, not physically, but spiritually. And then you have on the other side of the spectrum, you have this religious guy, and then you have this woman that's just been sleeping around. She's been living in fornication. She's been, you know, she's gone through five husbands, and the one she's with now is not her husband. And you go from a spiritual birth to now spiritual water, because Jesus is at this well, and I think it's interesting, it's Jacob's well. Uh, um, Abraham, Isaac. Is that the, is, I, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, where, who was one of the t- children that met his wife at that well? Rachel. Anyways, uh, so you have um, Jesus speaking with this woman at this well, and she's thinking about physical water, and he's referring to spiritual water. And so we're coming to the tail end of this, where she, after she finds out that Jesus knows everything about her, she quickly changes the conversation to the place of worship. Where are we supposed to worship Jesus on this mountain, which was a temple replica that the Samaritans built. Is it this mountain, Mount Gerizim, was where it was um, historically? Or is it the, the temple in Jerusalem? And so Jesus then switches the conversation off of the place of worship to the person of worship. And then he says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. That's verse 24. Verse 25 is where we're going to start the text today. If you'll Follow along. I think it'll be up on the screen, but if you want to look in your Bible, that's also um, fine as well. But he says, The woman said unto him, or the, the woman saith unto him, I know that when the Messiah comes, which is called the Christ, when he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I am, or I that speak unto you am he. Very interesting that Jesus is saying that he is the Messiah, or the great I am, Jehovah God, come in the flesh. Verse 27, and upon this uh, came the disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Again, not culturally, um, uh, you know, uh, traditional to do that. Yet no man said, uh, what seek you, or why talkest with her? And the woman then left the water pot and went her way. And I think that's very interesting. Upon her conversing and relating with Jesus, think, think with me here. She came for physical water, and now she leaves the water pot. The very reason, the chore that she went there for, she leaves the water pot and goes to her village. So she came there looking for physical water, but she actually left there with spiritual water, the water of life. And then she goes in verse 29, 
Come and see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is this not the Christ? Then they, they went out of the city and came unto her. And in the meanwhile, the disciples uh, asked him, saying, Master, eat. And they said unto him, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore, said the disciples one to another, he hath, um, has he any, has he, I'm having a hard time seeing. And by the way, I'm getting glasses. I went to the eye doctor <laughs> and um, I'm getting glasses. He said, you need them. And so I'm calling it light, but I, my glasses are on the way. So we'll, we'll see. <laughs> Come and see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Then they went out of the city and they came unto him. In the meanwhile, the disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. And he said, I have food to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Has any man brought him uh, food to eat? And Jesus said unto him, My food or my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Obviously his work was to go to the cross uh, to pay for our sins, to rise again from the dead, to give eternal life, and to usher in the new covenant which we're in. Say you not that there is four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already under harvest. And of course, he's not referring to wheat. You know, he's referring to people. Again, Jesus often uses uh, physical examples to teach uh, heavenly spiritual truths. Verse 36, and he that reaps receives wages and gathers fruit uh, unto eternal life. Both the he that sows and he that reaps uh, may rejoice together. Herein is the saying true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap where you did not bestow any labor, and another person, other men labored, and you are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans, and here's this very interesting transition, many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified. So she went and witnessed to all the people in the city. He told me all that I ever did. And that wasn't very good news either. I want to bring something up, and we'll finish reading this. But my wife and I had this conversation the other day, and she said, do you ever read the Bible with different tones? And she's looking at it from her perspective. I look at it for more of a theological, academic, you know, doctrinal perspective. But she looks at it differently. And she says, she made a very interesting comment. And I think that's what's going on here. So Jesus confronts this woman at the, at the well. And here's a different tone. Yeah, five guys that you're with. And the one you're with now, not your husband. Right? Almost sounds like a voice of condemnation, like, gotcha, found you out. Or, oh, child, the five relationships that you've had, they're not good for you. It's not done well for your soul. Right? There's just a different tone, like, one is, I feel, I feel empathy for you. Or the other one is like, one would be like, shame on you, and the other one would be shame off you, because I love you. Do you understand? There's different tones, and sometimes you read the Bible in a different tone. But if her tone, the exchange from Jesus and this woman, was that of condemnation, would she go back to the city and say, he told me everything I did. He's the Messiah. No, she would be still ashamed. 
But yet, because she had this exchange of love and compassion and shame off you, she wanted to go shout it from the rooftops about this loving Messiah that didn't throw rocks at her or put condemnation on her, but lifted the condemnation from her. Not that Jesus is approving of sin at all, but he knows that the sin is not good for her. And so, um, and so he, he relates to her, I believe, in that fashion. So, therefore, the disciples said, verse 33, the disciples said one to another, has any, has any man brought him food to eat? And Jesus said unto him, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say you not that there's four months and then comes the harvest. Be- I already read all this. Before I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look into the fields for they're white already unto harvest. Okay, I'm gonna just drop down to verse 39. Um, and many of the Samaritans in the city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. I think that's very interesting. That Jesus, culturally unacceptable, he's with these off-scouring, this like marginalized minority group, and Jesus, because he's an equal opportunity savior, he loved the world, and he came to seek and to save all that was lost. They wanted to spend time with him, and they abode, he abode. He says he'll take two days out. And could you imagine the relational conversations that were taking place in those two days? Here's something that's not in my notes, but I want to just throw this out there to you. Jesus, and we're going to get there later on, but in John 14, 15, and 16, and 17, where Jesus is talking about him going away and then giving the Holy Spirit, he says that we will make our abode with you. He uses the same word. We will make our abode with you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come again. I will, me, he uses the whole trinity. He says that the Father, myself, the Holy Spirit, we will make our abode with you. Now, because this is before the new covenant, even though we're in the, the New Testament, this is before the cross, Jesus had an external relationship with people. Why? Because the cross takes away the sin, and the sin is the separation. He forgives us so that he could fill us and make his abode with us. But here's something awesome. As awesome as it would have been to have the Lord Jesus take two days out and have an abode with you, you and I, Christian, have the benefit of an eternal, everlasting abode and experience and exchange and relationship with Jesus. Why? Because he lives in your heart. Wherever you go, he goes. You enjoy that abode on a daily basis, whether we recognize it uh, or not. Um, And then, after two days, he departed, verse 43, and went into Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. All right, let's pray, and then we'll just look at a few thoughts and be done. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this uh, wonderful church, this group of people. I pray, Lord, that you would grow us spiritually and also numerically, Lord. I just pray that you would edify the people that are here. And for those, I'm thinking of Gwen, that you'd encourage her, um, Alvin and Gladys, that you would encourage them as well. And for others that couldn't be here today, uh, Joe, as he's traveling, uh, give him uh, traveling mercies as well. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would just encourage your people and help us to really navigate this, uh, this time 
Uh, I also pray for our country, Lord. I pray, I know you have it. I know you've got it under control. Help us to be good citizens of heaven and good citizens of America. I pray for our country and our leaders. Uh, Give them wisdom, Lord. Give the people wisdom as well uh, as they vote. And uh, Lord, I just pray we'd have a blessed and encouraged day today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the woman mentions in verse 25, she says, I know that when the Messiah comes, so they had, they had an eager expectation of this coming Messiah, which is called the Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. And so that was her litmus test. And because Jesus told her all things of her life, she, she just landed on that, that point alone. Because he told me all things, and the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to tell us all things, therefore he must be the Messiah. And she didn't wrongly conclude, for Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus said unto her, I am the one that is speaking to you. And he uses that phrase that God used to Moses. And Moses talks to the burning bush. Well, if I'm to go and tell Pharaoh to let your people go, who should I say that sent me? And the bush comes back, which is the voice of God. Tell them the I am sent you. So Jesus will often use this in the gospel of John. John is the one that records this I am statement from Jesus uh, the most. It's the next one coming up is at the end of John chapter 8. Um, <clears throat> but I want to show you the definition here of the word Messiah. And then we'll look at some aspects of Jesus' name. I think the slide's up there. There you go. Uh, so Messiah, Mashiach. <laughs> you got to do that <laughs> in Hebrew. Yeshua Mashiach. My wife can't even stand it in the morning. I have allergies because we have a dumb cat. And I'm like, I'm always sniffing. She goes, blow your nose, blow your nose. But if we had a guttural language, if we were in Germany or Israel, (laughs) Mashiach, meaning Christ, the anointed one, the savior of the world. So think about the Lord Jesus Christ. He has many names, but when you're going through the gospels, you see that those those names, and I like to I like to look at those names as titles or descriptive words. Because the, the, the word Christ means the anointed one. He's the chosen one of God to bring salvation and the only one qualified to bring salvation to the world. So he is the Christ, the Lord, uh, the anointed one. And his name Jesus, which also comes from the Hebrew word Joshua, which is how they would say it in Hebrew, Yeshua. That word Jesus or Yeshua means Savior. So it's not like the word Neil or the word Chloe in Greek, which we got her name from 1 Corinthians, it means flower, right? Every word or name of Jesus describes who he is. He is the Savior. That's what Yahshua means, or Jesus. He is the Christ, the anointed one chosen of of God. He is the Lord, the all-powerful great I am. He is those things. So he will do what he is. And so his name and names are more like titles and description words of who he is. But it is that name. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name. There's no other name under heaven given amongst people whereby we must be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord uh, shall 
be saved. So Jesus is the great I am. He's the self-existent one. Did we already pass the other slide that has a bunch of names? Did you, was that already up there? Okay. Um, so he, Jesus is the great I am, the self-existent one. Um, of course Jesus knew. You could go to the great I am one if you want. Of course Jesus knew everything about this Samaritan woman. He, after all, is her creator. Jesus could tell us everything because he is in every time and place and in every place and time all at once, all at the same time, the ever-present one, in every place and time, in every time and place. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and everything in between. He is the great I Am. So, of course, Jesus could tell her everything. He knows everything. That doesn't mean he causes everything. It just means that in his um, omniscience, he knows everything. He has the foreknowledge because he's already there. You already made the decision. He knows it. This is much more than a Jedi mind trick, by the way. (laughs) God knows the thoughts and intentions of your heart. We'll just look back at the Old Testament. They knew this. Check out these passages out of, uh, I think it's Chronicles and Kings. First Kings. Then here in heaven, your dwelling place, and forgive and act and render to each according to his ways, whose heart you know. For you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men and daughters of women. He knows everyone. First Chronicles, as for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind, for the Lord searches all the hearts and he understands every intention or intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. And you'll know this one from Samuel this is a great verse for, for young people to really mark this one down, okay? But the Lord said unto Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Right? Kids, you judge one another based on your outward appearance. We all do it. But God looks at the heart. And I want to say this by way of an application. You are seen, known, and heard by God. And this may cause concern in your life (laughs) that he knows everything, or it may bring you comfort. Hopefully it brings you comfort. Right? He knows everything. He he knows. And I guess my kind of my, where I want to go with this, this thought at least, is that when others do not hear you, God does. When it seems like it's radio silent, right? When it seems like radio silence, the Holy Spirit is wide awake. He, he knows. He knows your heart. Look, when you did something kind or good or, or you even had a thought to do it, but you never did it, God knows those things. Seen and unseen. He knows it. He knows it. And I know that either brings you great concern or great comfort, but hopefully it'll bring you great comfort because he knows all the bad stuff you think. He knows all the bad stuff you do, but he still, he loves you and he's with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You may feel lonely, but you are never alone because God loves you and he's in you and he wants to do life with you. He just wants to do life with you. And you feel sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes in Corona and everything seems all topsy-turvy, 
You're like, is there ever going to be an end to this? It, it's, are we going to go back to life as normal? You might feel isolated, insulated. You might feel, especially when we couldn't even meet in church. Um, I don't know what kind of feelings you're going through. But because God knows your heart, he knows your heart. He knows your tears. He knows your pain. He knows your uh, discouragement. He knows when you're depressed. He knows your anxiety. He knows your heart. Look, you might not talk to someone about it, but you could be open with God. He knows it. That's what I'm trying to say, is that he knows you so well, and he loves you so much that it's okay. It's okay. He knows your heart. He knows your heart. We are in an eternally united, intimate love relationship with God who loves you, hears you, and knows you. I love this verse. God kind of, I I've, I've read it, it's been there, but God kind of dropped this one in my heart bucket <laughs> during COVID. This is, I don't know if you've got some verses that, you've, that just kind of came to life during COVID that maybe you've read them before, but they, now they mean something different. This is one of them for me. Jeremiah 31. The Lord appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drew you, drawn you. So this everlasting love relationship, he knows your heart. And even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love to us. Even that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he's having this discussion uh, with the woman and then with the disciples. And of course, Jesus, uh, as he does, he uses uh, earthly examples to make a spiritual truth. And so the next point I want to talk about is this physical food versus spiritual food. All right. And so if you'll pick it up with me back in your text, it won't be on the screen, but just if you'll turn in your Bibles or just listen, verse 32, but the Lord said unto them, I have food to eat that you know not of. They're looking at him thinking like, you're sitting at this well, it's in the hot, it's the sixth hour of the day. Well, I don't know how long they were gone, but it's in, you know, it's like noon or one by this time. And it's really hot. They're in the desert. And the, the disciples said one to another, has anyone brought him any food to eat? In verse 34, Jesus said unto them, my food, my will, or my food, my meat, is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Now, I'm not teaching eternal fasting. You know? We all need to eat and drink physical food and water. But Jesus often is trying to use those physical necessities to drive a, a spiritual reality and necessity as well. And I say that because Jesus, he already said that he's the water of life. And in John chapter 6, where we're going to be after he fed the multitude in John 5, um, in John 6, he's going to then have the discussion saying, I'm the bread of life that came down from heaven. So Jesus makes himself the object of, look, if you don't have food and water, you'll die. And Jesus is saying, I am the water of life and I am the bread of life. Guess what? You don't have Jesus? Whosoever's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. You don't have Jesus, the food and the water of life? You don't have life. He is life. Just as you need to be sustained physically to live, you need to be sustained spiritually to live. And Jesus is that source. He told the woman that. He's going to tell the multitudes that. And I think when we get to John chapter 6, it's going to be interesting. They didn't want Jesus. 
So he goes from 5,000 down to 12. They didn't want Jesus. They didn't want spiritual. They wanted physical. They wanted a free lunch. They didn't want Jesus. That's unfortunate, but Jesus knew that. And he turns to them, he said, will you guys go away also? And they said, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. They knew who they were in the presence of. So those... Jesus is both the water of life and the bread of life. He's eternal satisfaction. And those who place their faith alone in Christ alone are eternally saved by grace alone and are forever satisfied, and their thirst and their hunger is met in their relationship with the Lord. Those who have Christ in their hearts are not seeking another Savior. They do not hunger for another God. They are not thirsting for, um, for multiple religious experiences. And they do not have an appetite to settle for anything less than that of Jesus. That's why he says you'll never hunger or thirst again. It's not that I don't want to thirst after righteousness and hunger after righteousness and grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. It's not that, but I'm not looking for another Jesus or another God or another relationship. Why? Because he's the way, the truth, and the life. I don't want to settle for anything less than Jesus. He is the water of life. That, that's going to give me eternal life. He is the bread of life that's going to sustain me throughout all of eternity. He's the source. He's the source. So on this topic, I want to bring up some interesting verses. Tucked away in the back of, of Job, Job chapter 23, he says this in his defense. <laughs> he says, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That was his attitude towards the words of the Lord. He said, more than food, I, I, I want to live from the words of God. Luke 4.4, 4, and Jesus answered him saying, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word uh, of God. I like Romans 14.17. This kind of puts it in perspective because a lot of times people think heaven is just like earth on steroids, so whatever you think is good here, it's better in heaven, right? Like a Brazilian barbecue is the best food here. It's all you could eat, you know, spit-roasted Brazilian meats. Well, think about what it's going to be like in heaven, right? So the Bible says this, for the kingdom of God is not of meat and drink, food and drink, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So on that note, I think I have a slide here that, where it says application, but I was going over it this morning. Yeah, I, uh, this is a mistake, so just go to the next one. Not, not that far. There's some verses before that. On the matter of food, I did want to say this. If you're spiritually satisfied with Christ— right, and, and he is your food, and you feel like you're growing, then this doesn't apply to you, right? If you feel like you're hungering and thirsting after maybe the things of the world and maybe not the things of God, maybe this does apply to you. And I had a friend tell me, he said, Neil, it's easier to grow old than it is to grow up in Christ. And so growing in the grace and the knowledge of Christ is an ongoing thing, and sometimes it doesn't matter chronologically where we're at. It just matters, what about our appetite for the things of God? Now, I'm not bringing this verse up to condemn anyone, or nor am I thinking of anyone, but he mentions this idea both in Corinthians and in Hebrews chapter 5. 
And the thought goes, as you're probably familiar, as a matter of fact, my friend, so he's, he, he loves them, he has a friendship with them, he says, but in reality, I could not talk to you as I talk to people who have the Spirit. I had to talk to you as though you belong to this world, as, uh, as children in the Christian faith. I had to feed you with milk and not solid food because you weren't ready for it. And even now you're not ready for it because you still live uh, as the people of this world live. When there is jealousy among you and you quarrel with one another, uh, doesn't this prove that you belong to this world uh, living by its standards? So what he's trying to say there is like, if your Christian experience is one of gossip, backbiting, division, bickering, quarreling, and all those kind of things, he's saying, well, maybe we need to back up and go to the milk rather than to go to the meat. And I love this next passage in Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 2. As newborn babes in Christ, no, Adam, that's not a singles ministry, um, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. I want to say something about this, that the Lord really, as I was praying this morning even, he really kind of deposited this in my heart. It's verse 3. So someone gets saved, they come to church, they go to Sunday school, they maybe get involved in discipleship, maybe they get a good book, uh, maybe someone takes them under their wing and helps them, and they have their own personal, uh, you know, walk with God. They're, they're growing in the grace and knowledge of God. They, they love the Bible. Uh, they have this attitude like Job, like, I, hey, you know, th- this is really important to me. More than I'm thinking about my next meal is I'm thinking about when I can have this next time with God. And, and so they really start pouring into the scriptures and having this relationship developing and built up with the Lord. And I think what happens is rather than guilting anyone, like, you better read your Bible, you better memorize Scripture, I think what causes, and I wrote it down this morning, I called it the CGH. This is literally this morning, the CGH, Christian growth hormone is what I called it. And I think the Christian growth hormone is this, if you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. It's like the woman. If she tasted that the Lord was condemning critical, disappointed, shame on you, shame on you, shame, shame, shame. If, it was, if that was the taste that she had in her mouth or that someone has in their mouth, you're not going to want to grow, and you're not going to want to tell other people about Jesus either, right? But if you taste that the Lord is gracious and you experience his amazing grace, not just for salvation, that's a good starting point, but as you walk with Christ and you keep tasting and experiencing and seeing his graciousness, you would not be able to help yourself running to the, you know, your village in Samaria and telling everyone how gracious that you've experienced and how loving that the Lord is. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think this is a discipline. You would think this was a delight right? This isn't a duty. This is a delight. And, and growing in the grace and the knowledge of Christ is something that you look forward to. It's not like, oh man, got to read my chapter in Proverbs today or uh, whatever. So the next phrase is harvest. And then we're, we'll speed up here. 
harvest. So Jesus makes this, this comment in verse uh, 35. Say you not that there's four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. And maybe that's an interesting thought. Lift up your eyes. Be engaged. Maybe we could say open the doors of the church. Look out. Right? Look out of these walls. We could say stuff like that. And he says, look into the fields for they're white already unto harvest. And he that reaps receives his wages and gathers uh, fruit unto eternal. Uh, they that both soweth and they that reap may rejoice together. So in sticking with his teaching on food, the Lord then switches to agriculture to explain that the souls of people are like a precious harvest field. His implication is that if we're willing, we could enter into this work with the Lord in any area or stage of life that we're in, and we could reap with the Lord, or we could sow with the Lord. And um, he's still sending people uh, out into the harvest to seek and to save the lost, which is the heartbeat of Christ. It's why he came. So there's never a lack of people who need the Lord. It's always a lack of people who Uh, are willing to share the good news or to join the Lord in this uh, reaping and sowing of the harvest. But look at the the attitude of Christ from Matthew chapter 9. I believe that is. Yeah, Matthew 9, 36. But when he saw, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and they were scattered abroad as a sheep having no shepherd. And then he said unto his disciples, the harvest is truly plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, of the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labors into the harvest. And it's awesome that we support missionaries overseas to Romania. It's awesome that we could do the S- Samaritan's Purse and the boxes and uh, all that we do. And I love Maddie's approach to uh, helping the homeless. And I love this idea that we're doing trunk or treat and we or hand out gospel tracts and stuff like that. That's all part of it, right? Well, that's all part of it. But he's still saying, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth uh, laborers. And maybe that labor, or maybe your field is your job. Maybe it's your school. Maybe it's the grocery store. Maybe it's your day-to-day. I think it's just an attitude of, Lord, here I am. Send me. Make me available. I think it's just an attitude of availability. So, next passage I want to read is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, on this idea of harvest and planting and sowing, look at what God's the Apostle Paul saying this, this is right after where he just said, hey, you can't, you, you can't understand the, the heavier things or the meatier things. You're, you guys are bickering and, and fighting. You need, you need to go back to your milk diet. And these are the verses right after that, actually. He says, I planted the seed and Apollos watered. And the reason why he's bringing this up is because they're saying, well, I was baptized by Paul. I was baptized by Apollos. I was baptized. By, and they were, you know, they were setting up camps and preferences and causing competition and a division so he brings this point up also in agriculture he says but god is the one who made the seed grow so the one who plants is not important and the one who waters is not important only god is important because he is the one that makes things grow it's like me i could get up here and be shouting and spitting and telling and you know trying to encourage but god's the one that's got to do it the holy spirit has to He's the, he's, the, he's the teacher to you. He's the teaching to you. He's the one that turns the lights on in you. So the one who plants and the one who 
waters have the same purpose, and each one will be rewarded for his own work. We are workers together. I don't like this translation, actually. It should say with God, not for God. But we are workers together, co-labors together with God, and you are like a farm that belongs to God, and you are a house that belongs to God. So God builds. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, you're looking around, and you're saying, hey, where's all the people? Where's all the people? Here's the thing. Some people plant, some people water, but God gives the increase. My question, this isn't guilt. This isn't like, go work for God, get out there. But would you be willing, if you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, she left her water pot, she ran in excitement, she wanted to tell everyone about Jesus, would you be willing to tell people about Jesus? Just willing, willing. Not saying that you have to, but would you be available to want to, right? Jesus, if you give me an opportunity, I'll do it. Now, I'm going to move into something here. Um, just going to kind of fast forward and edit these things. Go to the slide where it says, and they believed. They heard and they believed. Verse 39 says in our text, John 4, And many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him for the saying of the woman when she testified. And he told me everything I, that I ever did. And many more believe because of his own word. So what I want to bring up is this. The Samaritan woman was so moved by the Lord that she was compelled to share Christ with the entire community. The love of Christ compelled her and moved her. She was not guilted. She wasn't condemned or shamed into giving her testimony. She just shared Christ from the overflow of her heart. So sharing our faith is a natural, and I'll add this, supernatural event but it's this outflowing and outworking of the Holy Spirit who's working in our hearts. When originally described of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, I have it memorized from the King James, but you shall receive power uh, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You could put up Acts 1.8. And you shall be witnesses, and you will tell people everywhere about me, in Jerusalem, and the rest of Judea, and in Samaria, and in every part of the world. But your Jerusalem is here. Your nucleus is here. This is your, this is your ground zero. It's here, right? In Orange County, in Garden Grove, here. This is your Jerusalem by way of application. But he says, you will be my witnesses. It doesn't say you will do witnessing. It says you will be a witness. Two letters, two different ideas. Do witnessing, be witnessing. Here's what I mean. The Holy Spirit, we'll get there in John, but he says, when we come, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will not speak of himself, for he will testify of me. This is John 17. He will testify of me. He'll tell you of me. Right? And so the Holy Spirit's job is to testify of Jesus. And you'll notice that Jesus' job was to testify of the Father. And so when we, when we receive the Spirit of God, a natural, supernatural outworking of the spirit of the life that's put in, when he lives his life out, we will be witnesses. We will be witnesses.
That might look like doing witnessing. It might look like going to, you know, uh, Huntington Beach at the pier and handing out tracts, or it might look like a lot of different things. It might look like inviting people to church. It might look like handing out a gospel tract at Trunk or Treat. It might look like going door to door. I remember we were told in a seminary we had to knock 100 doors a day and t- tell the gospel. You had to keep track of all that stuff. That was doing witnessing. I do, I've done witnessing. Like mandatory, do witnessing, do witnessing. And I've also been a witness where you could just sense like, hey, this person wants to know about what I have going on with God. Well, let me tell you. Here's, here's what I mean. In Utah, uh, we did the whole city, I don't know how many times, 120,000 people, tracks, tracks, tracks. You know how well-equipped you get when you engage with hardcore Mormons <laughs> on a daily basis? So I went into the, I got invited into this one guy's house. He was a lawyer. And he was, as most people were, he was a returned Mormon missionary, but he was older. He already did his mission when he was 18 and 1920. He's in his 40s probably the best age to be, right? Life starts at 40. Um, So we're talking, and he's trying to throw me off track because he thinks I'm following a script, which is what he would have done, you know, when they do the door-to-door witnessing. And so he says, well, what about this? What about that? And then he says, I'm throwing you off your plan. And I said, this is where it dawned on me. I said, sir, I'm not here sharing a plan of salvation. I'm sharing the person of salvation. You could ask me anything you want, and I'm always going to go back to the person of Christ. God's calling. Did you hear that? (laughs) (laughs) So what the lesson was is this. If you were, I tried to catch some of the the approval of uh, uh, the, the new Supreme Court nominee, uh, Amy is her name? What? Yeah, Mrs. Barrett, Honorable Barrett. And I really, I think she's quality. I think she's an outstanding person. Um, I think she's just a fine selection. Um, but if I were to sit in court and be approached by a prosecuting attorney and there was judges sitting there and a jury sitting there. I know that doesn't work like that, but let's just play this out. And they were to ask me as to the character of my wife, Jennifer. Guilty! No. I know her, right? I love her. I could testify to her nature and character because I spend time with her and I know her. I could be a witness because I'm testifying about a person and a relationship. Don't get intimidated by, I don't know the Romans road. I don't know the four spiritual laws. I don't know the way of the master. I don't know this plan, that plan, the other plan. I don't know certain plans of salvation, like it's a, a sales pitch that you're selling holy real estate into heaven if they just, you follow these plans and then they say yes at the end. You're sharing a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit came to testify of a person. You will be witnesses of a person. Here's the thing. You've got to get to know this person in order to testify about him. Right? So this woman, all that she knew was Jesus knows everything about my life. And he didn't condemn me. In fact, he, he showed me love. I want to tell you guys about him. I want to share this person with you. 1 Peter 3.15 says it this way. 
Um, it'll be up on the screen. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give um, an answer, an apology. That's where we get our idea from apologetics. To everyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that's within you with meekness and in fear. This is not just learning. See, in, in Utah, we had to upgrade. I went to Utah thinking you need to know what you believe and why you believe it. When I got to Utah, everything changed. I need to know who I believe and why I believe in Jesus. Not just a what, a who. And so what I'm saying is Jesus is the living word. We read about him in the pages of the inspired written word. But can you give a witness to Jesus? Um, if not, that's okay. There's no condemnation in that. But there's some sort of stewardship responsibility to that as well. You know, it is one thing to bring people to church, but do you know part of my job description in the Bible, in Ephesians chapter 4, is that it, the Bible says that he gave pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So right now, this is like, this is equipping. This is almost like, uh, you know, uh, we're all ambassadors, and we all go out into the world, and we represent the will of the king, but this is like having a, a staff meeting in the embassy right now. It's one ambassador telling other ambassadors, hey, the king wants us to do this, or he wants us to do that. This is like, this is ambassador-related stuff. But if you think, like, it's the pastor's job, I bring the people to church, the pastor gives the gospel, and then he's the one that saves them because he knows the Bible. That's what he went to school for. And then you're excluding yourself from that participation of being a co-laborer where some people water and some people plant, but God gives the increase. You need to rethink that a little bit. I'm equipping us so that we could all go do the work of the ministry and share our faith. Now, here's what I want to suggest. If you do not know how to better share your faith, just ask me. That's what I'm here for. You'd say, you know what? No one's ever discipled me. No one's ever taught me. No, I don't know where certain verses are. Ask me. That's part of my job. I want to help you. I want to help you to be effective in your ability to communicate and to share your faith uh, with those around you. So, um, how are we doing? Okay. We'll stand to our feet and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Hopefully you understand my heart. I'm not here to try to discourage you. I want to encourage you. This is a safe place. If you don't know how to share your faith, you're saying like all this witnessing stuff, that's for you and the missionaries, um, right? I want to help you. you and you, all you got to do is say, Neil, this question came to me, or I have, I've always thought about this, or where's that in the Bible, or what would you think about this, or uh, let's have a conversation, you know, and, and let's, let's be built up. Let's have an impact on the community. Right? Let's be effective uh, in our witness um, to a personal relationship with Christ. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this uh, this church, this body of believers. I pray, Lord, as you build us, as you add to your church. Uh, some people plant, other people water, but you give the increase. 
We know that you're the Lord of the harvest. We know that you look upon people who are without you and you look at them with compassion. May we leave these doors almost as missionaries on our own soil, but to see people the way you see them with eyes of compassion. They might have a smile. They might have a good job. They might even have a huge retirement set aside for them. But if they don't have a relationship with you, they're empty. They're lifeless. And so, Lord, may we look on, look on them with compassion, with your eyes. And thank you for this event that took place, how you interacted with this woman. It shows us your heartbeat, Lord, that you say shame off you, not shame on you. And may that be the propelling thing that we taste and see that you're gracious so that we'd want to go and tell others about your amazing grace. So if there's someone here that has never received Christ, I pray today would be the day where they pass from death to life. Help us to be the church. Help us to be witnesses. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.